Hello and welcome to Get Object. This is a podcast about things in games. I'm Rosie. I am joined as always by my fantastic co-host Paul. Hello. And today we are talking about clues. So we will be donning our deer stalkers in just a second, but first some chat. Paul, how are you? What are you playing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, I've been playing a couple of things since we last spoke. So I finished Paradise Killer, which is the uh, game I talked about on the last episode, the um, detective game on the iterative utopian island. Um, So yeah, I've been searching for some clues there. Um, I found all the clues. I've done. Oh, well done. The, I've done the. I've done the trial. Yeah, people have been executed. Quite frankly, um, sometimes it harsh, has to be done. Yeah, there's very harsh penalties on this island. Uh, <laughs> okay. All the all the crimes are punished by death. Uh, any crime. <laughs> so um, yeah, the the trial wasn't that great. Actually, uh, a mm-hmm. bit disappointing. I think like it doesn't like I was expecting it to be more like the games that have influenced it, like uh, Danganronpa and Ace Attorney and stuff, where the trial itself will have, you know, big turns in it, like something unexpected will come up and then you'll have to... Like Ace Attorney's really good at that, like making you right. feel like you're progressing to get someone and then it throws up something unexpected and kind of knocks you back and you have to kind of... Basically, what all the trial is is you accuse someone or something and then you basically have a list of evidence which is dependent on how much uh you found um, mm, mm. and you just click through it one by one there's no like flow to it it's like doesn't it's like whatever dialogue choice you pick and you, you just click all the evidence and it goes through dialogue for each one and then the judge goes yeah they're guilty yeah nice one and it's right. just that for every crime, basically. So there's a, there's, right. little, there's a little bit of stuff that comes out in the trial, but it's not... Uh, yeah, it's just a, a bit anticlimactic, I think. But uh, overall, I, I really like the game, uh, for sure. Okay. Uh, i also been playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. The, oh, my God, the, Tony Hawk's. The, the, I, the I, remake. I, fantastic. Right. Cool. Yeah. Was that fun? Yeah, um, the I mean it was, I know I know like it was getting good reviews and stuff, um, so I was kind of tempted by that, but I hadn't bought it. But then um, Epic, the Epic Games Store did a thing where if you downloaded Rocket League for free, they gave you ten pound voucher. I don't know okay. why. So I was That's like, funny, okay, well I got this ten pound. I might give it a shot because I, I'm. Uh, of the age where Tony Hawk Pro Skater was very much a, a zeitgeist thing. Um, uh, yes, extremely, yeah. Right, ex- extreme indeed. Things were very extreme in the <laughs> kind of late 90s and early 2000s, weren't they? Uh, very extreme. Yes. So I got I got into skateboarding and stuff because I'd been playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, like many people did at that time. So a game I was obsessed with and had a lot of fun memories of. So, um, yeah, I kind of thought it would be, I just kind of assumed that it would be shit. Like, mm. the, because, yeah, I remember it kind of being quite annoying at points, like some of the objectives and just being a bit fiddly to control and stuff. But no, it's actually, like, really good. I, I don't know how, how much they've changed. I mean, to me, it feels the same. Um, whatever they've done, they've really, they've either... Either the original game was great and they've done a really good job of replicating exactly how it was 
or the original game was a bit shoddy and they've managed to make it really good while making it feel without making it feel like it's changed in any way. So whatever they've done, they've done a good job. I don't know. So I've I'm done with it now. Basically, I've I've made a custom character. I I've done the objectives on all the levels. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna like play for it. I mean, with the original games, I up fully upgraded every character and everything. Right. And, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I can't be bothered to do that. But um, I did have a, a lot of fun with it, uh, and it was good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how um, lovely! I'm I'm glad to hear that it's back in good form. Yeah, I mean, same age as you, and I remember I never really played it, but lots of my friends okay. obviously were very into it, and you know, lots of memories of spending hours in people's bedrooms while they tried to stale fish or whatever it was. Um, yeah, they've done a good job as well. I forgot to say with the, with the music because obviously the music yeah, was oh, a fantastic. big thing because that was another. Yeah thing but it was kind of zeitgeisty about it that was the yeah um but so they've got a lot of those original songs but they've also got new stuff in but it doesn't like it doesn't sound out of place if you know what i mean like it cool. kind of flows yeah. together nicely so yeah they've done a good job yeah lovely so uh yeah well what about you what have you been playing uh just enderall i'm still playing enderall um i was talking about this last time um when i was about 25 25 hours in i am now about 60 hours in to Mm. enderall uh total conversion mod for skyrim uh once again i would stress that if you have a legitimate copy of skyrim on your pc you can get this game for free and um uh shoot the devs some money maybe over on their website as well as a donation i would recommend both of those actions i am enjoying enderall so much i i don't know what to say at this stage i it's 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 the best Elder Scrolls game since Morrowind. Um, it feels like a true successor to Morrowind. It's my favourite RPG I've played since The Witcher 3. Maybe my favourite game I've played since The Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, my absolute favourite genre of game done incredibly well. It's just so cool. It's so big. It has so much in it. The world is so interesting. It's like, you know, like you 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 come up to a door and it says, oh, you know, the city has you know, this is a big capital city and there's an undercity, right? And and often in, in, you know, contemporary Bethesda games, what you would get is you would go into a relatively small environment that is kind of meant to sort of feel like a city or meant to feel like a slum or something mm. that has like six people in it and is just a kind of sketch. Yeah. Whereas in Enderal, like it's this huge, like you're just not expecting it, this huge environment under the city, which is itself vast, and you know, and it has such a sense of atmosphere, and it has its own music, and like this incredible sort of weight of sadness to it, and people go about lives and shops and stuff like that, um, and that's that's the game all the way through. It's it's in incredible quality. Um, I I can't believe I got it for free. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I really like loads of the characters. I'm I'm very invested at this stage. Okay. Absolutely love it. Huge, huge recommendation for Enderall. If you think, if if you like an RPG, um, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I'm having a wonderful, wonderful time. Do you have any sense of how how much time you've got left? Yeah. I I don't know. I don't want it to end. I know that. <laughs> um, 
Like, I, I would be very happy if I'm about halfway through <laughs> at the 60-hour point. I mean, that's, you know, when I get one of these big RPGs, that's about how long I want to be playing them for. Like, it's, um, that's that's my preferred mode. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think I am probably about halfway. But there's loads of, like, you know, there's loads of side quests and stuff like that, which, by the way, are all really good as well. That's another reason why it reminds me of The Witcher 3. Like, just there's just so much extremely good content. Um so yeah so i think i'll definitely be able to spin it out for another 60 hours but i, I feel like i'm maybe about two-thirds the way through the main the main plot we'll okay. see okay uh, yeah cool. enderalt sure ai uh, are the developers and just a huge thank you to them okay well, i'm sure we'll be hearing about that that one again um uh, yeah you will you'll be hearing about it next time yeah there's no way there's no way i'm completing it before we record again okay Right, uh, let's get to a bit of feedback before we get on uh, with the with the main business of the episode. So um, we had a comment on the last episode on the uh, on YouTube on the on the video version. Um, again, just if you if you're new, we are recording this as video uh, video version as well, which you can get by signing up to our Patreon at patreon.com slash get object. Uh, it's only $2 if you want to uh, get access to, to the video one. So a great value. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and you get to see our lovely backgrounds that we, we've got, um, which is worth it in itself. Mm. We've been bringing great backgrounds every week as far as I'm concerned. Um, we've uh, Our background game has been really on point. It's been excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... This is from uh, that username is uh, got some vowels missing, but it's basically it's meant to say Ringworld Engineer, I believe, from the nice. novel Ringworld. Uh, I, I oh, think cool. that's I think that's Eli from the Patreon. So they said Paradise Killer. So yeah, talking about the game I've just been talking about, Paradise Killer definitely has Suda Fifty One influences too. The character's ambiguity certainly feels similar, but further there are explicit shout outs like the current island transition being twenty four to twenty five and the kill the first beverage. Um I'm not particularly familiar with Suda fifty one so I have no idea what those uh what those uh, shout outs are but I'll I'll take I'll take your word for it on that one. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh We've got we had a couple on the on the Patreon. Um, Steve pointed out uh, this is on our consoles episode. Great episode, thanks, Steve. Thanks, um, Steve. Aside from an Atari twenty six hundred, an uncle gave us in the mid nineties, along with a quick save carrier bag full of games. Growing <laughs> yes. up, my family only ever had Sega consoles for some reason. As a result, I have some fairly surreal memories of being picked on at school because the Saturn couldn't do proper transparency effects. <laughs> 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 Oh, kids can be so cruel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve also uh, helpfully pointed out that there are some uh, some rad stick-on wooden veneers for the PS4, given we were talking about wood panelling on consoles. Uh, yeah, can I say, I saw this in the uh, feedback document that Paul very kindly prepared and um, just before we started recording and clicked through to uh, the link that Steve provided and my jaw actually dropped when I saw this beautiful wood paddled PlayStation 4, I'm absolutely going to be getting those stickers, oh, I yeah. think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I nearly like shouted for Dave. I was so excited. <laughs> I don't know though, but don't you think like wood, like stickers, they always look worse in person? Like wood, it, I don't know. 
what you have to do is you'd have to do a really, really, really good job of sticking it on, okay. which I would absolutely not be able to do, but is the kind of thing that Dave's fantastic at. So um, okay. I'm I'm really going to try and get him sold on the concept, basically. Okay. Um, so, Eli also jumped in to say that they there's already some, uh, presumably for pre-order, for the PlayStation 5 as well. Yeah. So this could yeah. be a solution to your aesthetic issues. It really could be, you know, if if you dress it up right, that shape, that kind of ridiculous popped collar could maybe become something that might look kind of, I guess, mid-century and kind of cool um, with the with the right colours, not not with the white. So yeah, um, we'll we'll look into that. The, yeah. the the question of how I handle having to get a PlayStation Five is very very much open. Yeah. Uh, we have a lovely email from Jay. Shout out to Jay. Um, he says, can I just say that Paul's surprised curiosity after the suggestion that I was about to link, uh, Rosie was about to link the Dreamcast and From Hell was absolutely priceless. I was similarly curious. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously the Dreamcast is a black mass. I don't think I even need to explain this in too much detail, no. um, but you can listen to the previous episode if you would like some thoughts. Uh, Paul's comments about the positive effects of restrictions on creativity, I agree 100%, by the way, reminded me of something Sir Clive Sinclair has said in the past. I'm a little older than both of you and had a spectrum. He has commented that months after the Spectrum came out, bedroom game designers were doing stuff that he genuinely didn't think was possible, thanks to incredibly elegant and clever use of programming. That's something that some of my friends, who unlike me understand programming, have backed up. I've often heard them bemoan that a lot of modern coding is flabby and has bugs, partly because now coders have such insane levels of memory to throw at problems and tech to play with, there's no need to get clever. That actually reminds me, before Console Wars, we had Spectrum versus Commodore 64. I was a bit young to be involved in that, but some of the older kids at school took it all incredibly seriously. The specky kids saw it as scrappy and punk and painted Commodore 64 owners as rich kids who liked blocky graphics. Commodore blocky was an insult. That's such <laughs> a lame insult. <laughs> Commodore blocky. The C64 kids thought the specky was for people who couldn't afford a proper computer and bemoaned its inability to handle many colours and the ones it had were awful. Lovely insight into um, early console wars there going Mm. on. Uh, Thank you very much, Joe. I mean, I I feel more drawn to the the spectrum there for making this a class war thing. Um, Right, there we go. If it's for the, they're saying the specky's for the people who can't afford the proper computer. Um, Yep. I just I, I I've got to give you some some credit here because I think you actually said the thing about creative limits before me, and then I just said the point again, like myself. No, I so. think no. I mean, I we won't get we won't spend too long arguing about it, but I'm pretty sure you actually uh, sort of pretty much said it, and then I maybe said it again. I think well, that's I think what happened. Said it first. Who, well, and, and it, who who shot first in this in this console <laughs> war? Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I was just going to say uh, also. I've also, I'm pretty sure I've seen like uh, John Carmack, the guy from mm. ID, uh, very famous yeah. for being good at programming uh, and f- for the, the Doom and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure he said the same thing about programming, about how, yeah, people's code now is like, can be very loose and uh, flabby uh, as the term that Jay used because they've got so much room to do stuff that wasn't available back in the day. So, yeah. Right. Cool. Okay. Should we talk about clues? Let's talk about clues. Yeah. Clues in video games. Um, 
how are you with uh, with the detective genre, Paul, and, and games? I think you're you're a bit more into this than me. I, I, I mean, let's call me a connoisseur. Why not? Oh, okay, um, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, uh, I it, yeah, I just like detective games a lot. Uh, it comes from the, I guess it comes from being into point and click games, which are already mm-hmm. are more in that kind of zone. But um, yeah, any any detective game. I, I mean, I've got a few on my steam wish list that um are in development uh that right. i'm waiting for there's a very cool one like a procedurally generated detective game noir classic noir and you get jobs and like break into people's apartments and stuff and find information looks very nice. cool yeah um yeah i've got i've got a whole list of detective games that i've played for over the years i just love them um what about you is this a genre you're no, not at no. all. I, I was, yeah, I'm interested to hear from your great expertise because, yeah, I've I've played. Um, I'm trying to think now. Um, I mean, I I certainly did enjoy um the uh the the point and clicks are probably around the same time as you were playing a lot of point and clicks. Like you know, it's like one of those genres of game that you often like first get into. Um, but then didn't didn't go on to play. I haven't played like you know Ace Attorney or anything like that. And I, I don't think I've played um one of the Sherlock Holmes games mm-hmm. that was out relatively recently i can't remember if it was crime and punishment um there's been a there lot might... of them yeah there might have been one with like abc abc murders that was uh, or agatha christie the abc murders oh, okay i don't know i think it was the sherlock holmes whatever i played i played one of the sherlock holmes games and um i actually really enjoyed it but um yeah it's just not a genre i know particularly well okay well uh obviously a genre full of clues um mm. So I, I started thinking about how clues are different to our other objects, yes. which is uh, this is an object that's defined by its relationship to an event or a story rather than what it actually is. Um, yeah. So, you know, as opposed to like the other stuff we've done, like a map, we're talking about the fact that it is a map and it does a certain thing and it has a certain point to it. Um, a clue, like... A jacket can just be a jacket <laughs> that is an item of clothing that you use to keep warm, or a jacket can be a clue. It depends yeah. on the context. Um, so this is uh, part of the attraction of clues as an object, I think, is that they are um, a normal object that's become imbued with something, uh, some kind of special meaning or something. Um, it's uh like the form as i said like the form of the object's almost irrelevant it's like the the extra bit like the excess that's attached to it that makes it a clue so it has this kind so it has this kind of aura about it it gestures to a mystery which is inherently compelling uh it's full of all this potential it's asking to be read uh so it's inviting you into like a, a story or a puzzle or something like that so I think that's, uh, yeah. Um, I think that's a fantastic point. It didn't even occur to me. Yeah, today we're not even dealing with like, we're dealing with a kind of amorphous genre. Hmm. Um, you know, we're dealing with objects that contain an excess more than themselves. Um, this actually really leads on to like, yeah, my initial thoughts, which was that a clue is a kind of sign, right? Mm-hmm. A clue is something that points, um, which made me think of um, Pierce's typology of signs. This is um, a uh, kind of 
idea about three different categories of signs that's uh, quite commonly taught within a lot of the social sciences and certainly media studies coming from Charles Sanders Peirce in the late 1800s, um, who was an American semiologist, I'm going to say, is a social scientist. Um, so we have three types of signs. We have symbols, and those are quite arbitrary. So, for instance, a white flag means surrender. There's no particular reason why a white piece of fabric should mean surrender, but it's just become through convention. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of understands that. Um, so an example of that within games would be um, if you can climb a ledge in a lot of exploration games, there'll be paint on that ledge, like white paint on it. Yeah. Um, and, and there's no particular reason why that should be the sign that's developed to mean you can climb this. Um, it's just a kind of convention. Um, second kind of sign is an icon, uh, which uh, a toilet door sign is an icon, for instance, when you see the little person wearing a skirt or the little person wearing trousers, and that's supposed to indicate um, the kind of person who can enter that toilet or for whom that toilet is. Um, so it resembles, an icon resembles the thing it's pointing to. Sonic the Hedgehog is an icon in many ways, but <laughs> but also in, in the formal way, because he's okay. some, he, he looks a bit like a hedgehog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, And then the final one, which is the one I think we're thinking about today and touches on what Paul was just saying, is the index. Um, The index is the least arbitrary sign. Smoke means fire. Smoke is an index of fire. It points to fire because it is literally caused by fire. Um, So an index actually arises from operations of power, from things that are actually happening in the world. They point to their referent. Um, so this is why index, uh, indexicality is like the really interesting part of signification because we are talking about power, because we are talking about agency, we are talking about things that have been caused by other things. If we go back to the world of Sonic, um, if you're walking through a field in the world of Sonic and you see little robotic bunnies, Mm -hmm. um, that is an index of Dr. Robotnik that tells you that Dr. Robotnik has been nearby with his terrible machinations, turning these beautiful bunnies into robots. Um, That is something he does. The bunny points to Dr. Robotnik even when he isn't there. Um, And that's indexicality. And I think that's that's what we're dealing with, uh, with clues, Uh, power and agency, as you were saying, Paul, the item that contains a kind of excess beyond itself. Um, that points to some kind of operation of power. Mm. Well, that yeah, uh, that's a nice example of how clues go way beyond detective games, I guess, as well. Um, right. I mean, I, again, I was, in the beginning, I was very much zoning in on that, though, and I was thinking about how uh, maybe detective games, I don't know, I'm not quite sure whether I fully... <laughs> think this is correct or not but maybe okay. <laughs> maybe maybe detective games are more defined by the player's relationship to objects than other games because yeah. your your role in the game is explicitly related to to clues so to to finding objects to decoding their meaning to mm. uh putting together the story that they are telling you so um yeah uh there's they're they're very yeah they're very objecty games detective games um right but yeah they definitely uh go way beyond detective games as well they do appear in other genres in in various forms uh, clues as well they are i think something that's fun about about 
uh, what's appealing about them or what works with about them is that they're about objects in a, a context so you've got to think if you're making a game with clues you have to think about the, the object's relationship to everything else um, because you for a clue to work you have to be looking at the object's relationship to people to other objects to the environment that it's in to events that have taken place so it, necessi it necessitates a certain perspective from the people making the game it necessitates a certain perspective from you as a player like you you have to yeah, look at objects in a certain way so uh i was thinking um return of the Oberdin, which we've both oh, played yeah. yeah yes so for anyone who doesn't know I do, I'm, I've uh, I made it I've realized by the way that I often talk about games without explaining what they are and there's been more than one person that's told us that they don't even play games or don't particularly play them, but just still listen <laughs> yeah. to this so I'm going to try and get better at explaining what games are um so yeah Return of the Oberdin is a game where you uh, are an insurance person who goes onto a um ghost ship that's arrived back at uh, in England I believe and yes uh, Portsmouth I think yeah so there's insurance claims against like people that have died or, or whatever so there's loads of skeletons on the ship and stuff and you have to find out like what has happened here because there's nobody off the ship nobody knows you do that with a notebook that has like a list of the crew members that were there a couple of portraits uh, or um or portraits like uh, sketches of the whole crew and stuff like that and a helpfully a magic stop uh, a magic watch that lets you return to the moment of a person's death like a freeze frame of their death which is a very very good game absolutely fantastic game by the way yeah i would say if you are one of our listeners who doesn't like play loads of games but likes the odd point and click or something like that really do check out return of the Oberdin. um just absolutely stunning piece of work yeah and that's a game that, yeah, they not necessarily have a lot, a lot of physical clues. Um, there's a lot of more abstract clues, um, which uh, is fine for our purposes, I think, to talk yes. about those as well. But you know, you're always trying to place things in relation to one another, like to discover relationships. So any single thing you hear or object you see or name that you read, constantly like thinking like how does this relate to everything else so that i i don't know that's just something i enjoy a lot and i think is is really satisfying to do and as i said like necessitates you building a certain kind of world where there's like relationships between things and things interrelate to one another in a way that makes sense yeah, the Oberdin, I mean, it really sort of reveals itself to you as like this huge puzzle, basically, that you do have to end up like, your brain ends up like creating all these like, all these yarn maps. I, I'm so, my brain is so like frazzled by the internet. I don't know how to describe anything apart from in terms of memes, but you know, like, <laughs> you've got giant yarn maps inside your head. Yeah. Like, you're trying, but that that is that is the feeling of the Oberdin. Like it's a, yeah, fantastically satisfying, as you say, uh, when things start to slot into place and you're like, well, this means this. If this guy was sleeping here, then this means this. This means that he was probably of the same position as this guy, which yeah. means that this is this person's body. Um, and yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And that, and that's like you're saying. That's a certain a, a thing I like in games, like working things out, like doing. Uh, it makes you feel smart when you get it when you get yes. stuff like that right. 
So that's something that's very appealing. Also, uh, sometimes with clues, like not knowing when something is, like uh, something often in um, the Ace Attorney series. Yeah. Um, so again, for anyone who doesn't know, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, it's a series of games where you play as a defense attorney. Um, you It's basically divided between point and click bits really where you go and investigate stuff like you go to scenes of crimes you go and talk to witnesses you uh collect evidence essentially and then trial portions where you're battling back and forth with the prosecutor and you present evidence so in other words the clues that you've discovered to kind of build a case and find out the truth and your defendant is always innocent, so you've always got to oh, uh, you've always got to um, exonerate them and and find the real um, killer. Normally, normally a murder. Um, but yeah, they, there's often like something you find quite early on, like a clue that you don't really know what it is, but you know it's important. And like right. uh, you know, Phoenix Wright will say as much. Like this this thing. This thing like throws everything into question, but I'm not yet quite sure like what it means. And like, there's a long process of like finding out like what, what, yeah, what what the significance of this object is. So I think that's another thing that's draws you in with clues potentially. Like, you know, it means something, but you don't know what it means yet, and you have to kind of work that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had um another um thought from um from anthropology that i think kind of fits that idea um is a lovely quote from mary douglas um structuralist anthropologist dirt is matter out of place uh it's really oh, useful it's fantastic I, I i've mentioned it quite a lot on other podcasts as well so oh, maybe, maybe, um, <laughs> it might be that but yeah because i i, I it comes up quite a lot actually and people do reference that idea quite a lot because it's very very useful to think with um because you know um the the and i think it applies to the clue the clue is the item that doesn't seem to belong where it is um shouldn't really be there um i was thinking because i as i'm saying i don't have loads of experience with um these kinds of detective games um i haven't played loads myself but i have of course played um games uh, a series of games featuring gaming's in my opinion greatest detective uh, Geralt of Rivia, uh, The Witcher. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a really good, um, and the, uh, the Witcher games are open world RPGs. Um, are they all that? Yeah, I'm going to say kind of. The, the first two, not, not quite as open world, but they're all um, very story driven RPGs in which you are focused on the heroic character of monster slayer uh, Geralt of Rivia. And uh, one thing that Geralt has to do quite a lot is investigate, not really crimes, monster crimes. Yeah. He, has to, <laughs> he has to show up. I don't know if monsters commit crimes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he has to hunt monsters. So he has to um, find out where they've been and uh, look into um, kind of disturbances uh, whenever he rides into town. The Witcher 3 has a very um, iconic kind of famous plot line that people really enjoy called The Bloody Baron. Um, in The Bloody Baron, um, Geralt of Rivia comes to the holdfast of a local warlord um, 
who is uh, dubbed the Bloody Baron, um, who tells Geralt that his wife and his daughter are missing um, and that Geralt will have to look into it. There is some sort of suggestion early on um, from the Bloody Baron that, you know, perhaps this is bandits, something like that. Um, He says, you know, his wife and daughter wanted for nothing um, when Geralt asks. So there's no particular reason why they should uh, disappear. You go and look round the uh, bedroom of the wife. Um, I can't remember her name. Anna. Um, and you find some matter out of place. You find a broken candlestick that is in two pieces strewn across, across the floor. Uh, a family portrait that is askew and is uh, not, not showing properly on its... Uh, not, not oriented properly mm-hmm. on its hook. Uh, you find alcohol spilled across the floor and outside of the room you find a protective talisman under the floorboards Uh, various bits of matter in the wrong place and all of these are things that are held quite close to the self maybe not so much the candlestick but the family portrait displays um, an image of um, intimacy and familiarity Um, the alcohol is something that you would consume it is uh, suggestive of personal habits Um, and the protective talisman of course is something that you would generally try to have close to your body all of these things suggest a picture of intimacy um, of, of the domestic sphere Um, that I think suggests to Geralt straight away that perhaps this is nothing to do with bandits. Perhaps the disappearance of the wife and daughter of the Bloody Baron has its roots closer to home. Um, And that's kind of where the quest kicks off from. Uh, Mm. It's about the only example of like proper detectiving I could think of that I'd done in games, um, apart from Oberdin recently. Um, But uh, yeah, a really fantastic uh, storyline, one that people enjoy a lot and, um, and yeah, has some nice clues in it. I yeah I think there's uh, quite a lot of detective in The Witcher in various ways. Actually, actually, yeah. I'm going to skip ahead because we had a uh, that's one of the suggestions that we had. Oh, um, again from the being in the got lots of suggestions from the range touch and no cartridge discords. Uh, Slasher Epoch said uh, the way the Witcher series has introduced a bit of procedural investigation stuff uh, mm-hmm. into each Witcher contract is wonderful. Even if Geralt is just saying out loud, hmm, I bet it's a noon rafe. I better make some rafe oil. <laughs> Still makes me feel like I'm being rewarded for looking for clues, even if it's in the simplest way possible. Yeah. Uh, I guess at the end of the day, Geralt knows more about monsters than I do, so maybe the mechanics and narrative are working together. On the other hand, I kind of wish there was a bit more involvement from me, the player, like if I could be manually eliminating possible monsters from a checklist. Um, oh my God, that would be brilliant. Yeah. No, I'm very into that idea, Slasher Epoch. Yeah, we're right to CD Projekt. <laughs> so, so this is a this is a yeah this is a good example of there are clues in well, this isn't exclusive to de- detective games. Though detective no. games are of course most defined by clues. They exist in other games. I think it's probably one of the reasons I like The Witcher Three a lot. It's like it does right. it does incorporate that into quests. Like it's it's satisfying. Like you say, with the monsters to be. It's not just like. Uh, go and kill this monster it's like oh somebody has been attacked by something okay let's go to the scene of the attack let's see what we can find yeah okay this leads me over here this it's just satisfying to kind of find your way there that way Uh, yeah and it just sort of gives you this i you know this sense of inhabiting um uh 
a very competent professional, which is really nice. You know, often like if, you know, you're playing a character who's a monster hunter and you wouldn't really expect to do much like day-to-day grind of monster hunting, which is, you know, oh, there's a body, it's missing its leg. Well, what monster do I know that likes to chomp on legs? And then, you know, consulting the glossary and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, Geralt, Geralt does all of that stuff and it is, it is very satisfying and fun. Uh, while we're on The Witcher... Another mm. one, uh, Handsome Ransom said, when I think of clues, I think of how modern games have run with the boring detective mode stuff that was cribbed from Arkham Asylum. So I just wondered what your thoughts on detective mode is. So again, for anyone who doesn't know, this is normally where you essentially hold a button down and it <laughs> highlights um, relevant stuff that appears. Yeah, it was a in Arkham Asylum and since uh, the Batman game and since then it's been loads of stuff including The Witcher so yeah I just wonder what if you had any thoughts on detective mode if that's the thing you think is shit or good or yeah I mean it's one of those things where because I'm I'm my um probably my inclinations as a player and my aesthetic priorities are maybe not completely in sync with each other because I don't think it's particularly good I really like the I like the idea of walking around an environment and having to figure out what's relevant and what's not for myself. Mm. Um, but given a detective button, I will always use it because often there's ways yeah, of, of disabling it. Um, and I, I, I will never do that. Um, you know, I'll always use it because I'm, I'm super lazy. Um, but no, I would love it if games were designed. And often, you know, as soon as you put that detective mode in it, you have to, it, it shapes the way that you design an environment, you know, instead of like subtly leading people towards or subtly kind of suggesting the kinds of things that might be relevant to look at, you can just like, you know, you can put a, a, a key right under a bed where you'd never look naturally, but if mm. you click that button, it'll be highlighted and you'll just go straight to it. Um, so I think it changes the way, once you have that button, it changes the way that you're creating the entire environment um, in a way that's, yeah, maybe a bit of a shame. Mm. I wonder, yeah. Again, I'm also not a big fan of it. I wonder if it's mm. like it tend, but yeah, it tends to appear in games that aren't detective games, uh, right. like for the main thing. And maybe like they're not set up to be that. And maybe those games would be annoying if they didn't have that to like find the stuff. Maybe it wouldn't I, work as well. I mean, I, I think they would be. I mean, I think it's it's to do with yeah the priority of 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 gameplay. But it is a bit of a shame that Batman games. Mm, yeah. don't have detective elements in them because this is you know batman's a detective first and foremost yeah they they do they are i can't remember if they were in the first one and which ones but there mm. are a couple that have like crime scene bits mm. we do like first person things we look at clues and stuff and put things together oh, a cool. bit but yeah it's quite it's all quite light um, yeah, yeah. I'd like a Batman game where, um, because as as far as I can kind of remember from playing the Arkham Asylum games, um, it's very kind of focused on the um, combat mechanics and the um, and the the movement through the city, the kind of flying around and driving around the city stuff, which is quite fun. Um, but I would I would like one that was like a, a Batman game that was just a straight up detective game. <laughs> I think yeah. that would be that would be fun. Yeah, that would be another side of the Batman. Sure. Um, I would like to explore, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm for it. <laughs> uh, I was trying to think of some different examples of games with clues in them and how mm-hmm. they're used. Um, Discworld Noir, um, oh. game I've uh, written about multiple times. Um, this is from 1999. 
Um, think everything we've mentioned so far is quite recent, relatively. I think it's yes, right. quite old, actually, like okay. two thousand and I don't know, two thousand five ish. That sort of time. Um, yeah, Discworld Noir, nineteen ninety nine, based on Terry Pratchett's Discworld, uh, set in Ankh-Morpork. It's basically that mixed with noir tropes. Um, so it's got bits from my mind's gone blank. What's the what's the famous noir film? Uh, like the the um double indemnity oh, oh it's got you know there's the the golden falcon is in uh oh, one of them and um, there's a, a, the golden falcon like a like a, i don't know how you pronounce it like the sword like f-a-l so in the, yeah, in, fa- in Discord noir, yeah in disco noir it's the golden whatever that is falcon in the thing it's golden falcon it's got characters that are Clever. evidently from again i've forgotten the name of the film but you know there's a big there's a big Manchurian uh, candidate no, it's no. like a big. It's got a big uh, fat guy in it who talks in a very distinctive way. Um, right. Does hit that character's basically in the game? It's got okay. lots of storylines from the. Yeah, it's all, all cribbed from like uh, the Big Sleep and um, and uh, those kind of novels and the and the films. And you play a detective and you have a notebook. Um, I'm possibly cannibalizing a, a future notebooks episode here uh, to a okay. degree but this is a game about playing with clues um and what i always found interesting about this game is that it is in the point and click genre which is as we've um we've mentioned before on the show i'm sure this is a genre which is very much all about objects like you pick up lots of objects you you interact with objects all the time um and this game essentially replaced objects with clues in your notebook so there's very for a point and click game there's relatively few um physical objects though they they do exist as well uh mainly you have um things in your notebook so they are so there'll be so for example something like you learn that somebody lost a lot of money at a casino Mm -hmm. and that is a thing in your notebook um so even though they are not, these are not objects, they are functionally still the same as objects in that you click on the thing, you like move it and then you like use it on like a person or something. So it kind of has the same function, but it's a different way of doing it. Um, and I think what's very effective about that is that traditionally in point and click games, um, the puzzles are a way of gating off story. Like, oh, yeah this bridge is broken so you're gonna have to go and like this guy's got something you need but he wants this and blah 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 so you're gonna have to go and get all this stuff you know something like that whereas in this game because they've switched out the objects for clues the objects instead of being things you mess about with to unlock the gate (laughs) to get to the next bit story they are the story like you're mm-hmm. playing with the story. Like this person, this person lost money at the casino. Like I said, this person was seen here. Um, this person told me they saw they saw so and so doing whatever. So you're so the shift from just like objects to clues, as in yeah. objects with or yeah, not essentially objects, but you know what I mean, like objects with meaning. That means you're playing with the story and you're telling the story through your interactions with the objects. So I thought that was uh, a really cool 
way of doing a detective game, a really cool way of changing the point and click formula and using clues and making them the focus of the game. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Yeah, so it's like a the um, circumstances that you learn about and stuff like that are almost like being thingified and becoming yeah um, becoming items that you then interact with and, and click through. That sounds great. I never played Discworld Noir. I I played the first Discworld point and click um, years mm-hmm. and years ago, and it was it's quite a frustrating game. The um, the first, the first one, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like really arbitrary, isn't it? It's like um, yeah, yeah, it's like. It, it, the solutions to puzzles are things that you wouldn't necessarily think of unless you had the internet in front of you. Um, but um, but I did hear good things about Discworld Noir, and I do really love Discworld, so maybe I should check it out. Uh, have a look. Uh, yeah, it's quite hard to play now. Is uh, it? Oh, yeah, you, that's a shame. Uh, you can do it. Like I know how to do it. <laughs> if okay. you're that interested, there are ways. You need yeah. to. You need to do quite a lot of stuff. You need to like download. Yeah, you need to like switch out your mouse pointer for like an <laughs> uh, invisible one so that the, yeah. it doesn't mess with the mouse yeah it's a faff but you, you can it's like it. um like a point and click game trying to get into the game i mean the, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I, the, the person who designed the game actually has like a guide on their blog or whatever about how oh, really? to um how to get it to work um, I mean, because it, it must be quite upsetting for a lot of these, you know, developers when you sort of when you find that, you know, this thing that you spent ages on, it's not like a book, you know, it can become something that becomes, I mean, I guess books can go out of out of print and stuff like that, and then people can't access them. Mm. Um, but yeah, it must be must be feel a bit sad when uh, people can no longer get into the thing that you've made and spent so many yeah, hours on. For sure. uh, yeah, no, I'll check that out. Um. I thought also about like the idea of like a like a, a procedure, like having mm-hmm. a formula. So um, I thought of La Noir. Don't know if you played that. I have played La Noir, and it honestly didn't even come to mind when I was preparing this episode, which is funny. Um, it's like very much its own thing, La Noir, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um. So for anyone who doesn't know, this is a Rockstar game. Rockstar who made Grand Theft Auto. And it's yeah, it's it's a bit weird because it's like mm. it's like that open world formula, but it doesn't really it doesn't feel like it plays like an open world. It doesn't quite feel at home in an open world. I think. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it's something that maybe want. It almost feels like it wants to be more like um a not really a point and click, but something where you maybe were just sort of going into scenes yeah, and yeah. talking like the bits of driving between bits. Mm. Just yeah, I, I think doesn't feel at home is actually quite a good way of describing it. Yeah, um, so you're like a, a, a police officer and you kind of move through various departments and investigate crimes. But yeah, it it was, um, it, kind of, it kind of sounds insulting to say it's like a formula to it, but mm-hmm. I don't mean it that way. But like there is a formula of like, you'll know as you've played it, like somebody's been killed or whatever. So you drive to the scene, you look, the, ev- the evidence has been labeled normally and sometimes you can find extra stuff that hasn't been spotted so you look at the clues you pick some of the clues up and have a look and see if there's anything there that gives you some leads you drive to the next bit and then once you've collected enough you have a suspect or suspects and then you interview the suspect with your evidence and like that's Mm. the formula that repeats over and over Uh, and again i don't mean that in a negative way i mean it like it's like with clues you have a 
the idea of like investigation as like a technique or a science that you apply to the clues to get the story out of them of of what happened so it's like a method that you apply to objects yes and i think that is also a cool thing it's like yeah. a satisfying thing to do um so yeah that's another aspect of clues yeah there's something procedural about it which i guess there should be um yeah no it is um yeah it's a, it's a, it's it's a funny game la noir Mm. um but yeah a, a good one i think the thing i had with la noir was that um and this is sort of mild spoilers um but um you kind of start to get a sense as you're playing that maybe the the solutions you're coming up with for the crimes are not accurate yeah you can um, yeah you can get uh you can there are, yeah you can convict the wrong people that's like part yeah. of bit built into the game yeah um and 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 that that's the but that that's the only solution you can come to it's like the solution the game wants you to come to is one that the game starts to tell you is maybe not right no there, there um, are quite, there are cases where you can convict more than one person it's possible are there yeah. okay well, maybe i was just playing it really badly i can't remember and also i remember that my character is he called cole guy mm-hmm. from mad men isn't it um he's very good uh it's very well acted and like the um the the voice capture is uh face capture in the game is like really impressive and stuff um uh he has a real temper and just starts like flipping the de- yeah. desk at like the slightest provocation yeah it's, it's been a, a much memed game partly because yes. of that because he yeah the way they've built the like interview scenes he would just yeah there's a lot of stuff about how he's essentially like a psychopath or something because he he just he goes through these like insane mood swings of like just yeah. exploding and then he's suddenly just like completely normal again um, yeah. Also, it had the problem. Like you said, the face capture was amazing, but uh. because the because the whole thing of the game was like um, you, the the kind of hook that they sold the game on was that when you interview people, you read their facial reactions because the which led to people doing very hammy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, very. I'm lying uh, now, so I've got to like look all around and like um absolutely yeah 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 because the idea was the idea was people were supposed to have tells um when they were lying that you could read but um but obviously like when someone tries to do a tell and telegraph it so that you know the gaming audience will be able to pick it up you end up like just like tugging on your nose or something you know equally ridiculous um yeah but it is it's a really interesting piece of work la noir um and i would certainly it's certainly worth checking out as a genre piece, I think. Mm. Um, I just wanted to quickly say that a game that's like the opposite to that in terms of having a procedure, um, a game I think you would very much like if you ever play it, uh, Disco Elysium from 2019, uh, where you play a detective who wakes up after a multi-day bender and can't remember who he is and uh, has to... There's a body hanging outside the hotel you're at from a tree and you have to like solve that crime um, once you find out that you're a detective. Um, <laughs> the I say it's the opposite in that there are many, many, many ways to do that job depending on your abilities. 
actually had uh, we actually had some. This was a suggestion from someone as well uh, from uh, Furboz who said, "I really like Disco Elysium's manner of presenting inspection of inanimate objects as a conversation, same as a witness." I'm thinking of how a third-person descriptions gets the object's name as a title card in the same place the character's name would go. Of course, with Inland Empire, there's also the potential for literal two-sided conversations with objects. So what they mean there, um, to explain a bit more, so you have various... So it's like it's a detective RPG, essentially. You have stats that you choose at the beginning that you improve as you level up and you gain experience. And these affect how you do investigations. So there's a perception stat. You will literally see more clues if you have higher perception. So you will mm-hmm. see all sorts of things. Um, there's one called conceptualization. So that's kind of about seeing relationships between things and associations that your detective will pick up on. Uh, visual calculus like lets you, like if you're at a scene where something's happened in kind of... Um, like, I don't know, like the trajectory of a bullet or like a car crash or something like that. They can like see the distance, like what happened and what order and stuff like that. If you don't go down that route, you, you have stuff more like rhetoric, which is a way of persuading people. So, if, so for example, let's say you had low perception and you, there are clues you didn't spot. With rhetoric, you get, can get more information out of people by persuading them to tell you something. Um, empathy is one that you're you will kind of and by the way all these um what's amazing about discrelysium is all these um abilities are effectively characters they're voices in your head who speak up and the more points you put into them the more influence they have the more often you hear from them so for example with high empathy when you're talking to somebody if you have high empathy it will be commenting on like they have, when they talked about that, like they felt like a profound sadness or something. So again, oh, it, it gives right. you clues about how, like, where to push in the conversation to get information. Uh, Inland Empire that he mentions is, is kind of like effectively becoming a mystic. Um, you literally like objects will start speaking to you. Like Very you're nice. kind of you you become a bit. Um, yeah, these can actually have negative. If you go really high level with the stats, mm. like they kind of start influencing you. Like, so it's a really interesting system. But anyway, um, yeah, there's all sorts of different ways. A very uh, unprocedural way of like approaching investigation. Like the clues that you find take different forms, and and the whole shape of the investigation becomes completely different depending on the type of character that you create like it feels like a different game like you get go on you were gonna say something i've i'm now thinking i remember someone reaching out to us on um on diane on our twin peaks my twin peaks podcast um saying recommending disco elysium basically mm. saying because you can you can basically play as like a mystical buddha cop dale cooper if you want you can you can do that form of investigation oh, I, th- I think i i sent it to you on twitter and said that so maybe that was, oh, that was you yeah <laughs> thank you thank you for that yeah yeah no I, I yeah i absolutely remember that um yeah that sounds really that sounds super fun oh and also yeah the, the clues there because they uh it's not just about like the mystery it's also about like who you are and what you did like right because so there's like two mysteries going on so that's fun oh, as well. yeah. that sounds very cool yeah i should look into it hmm. um okay so i had one more thing i was thinking about with clues um so we've obviously with with the witcher 3 we have exhausted 
Um, and I guess Oberdin, my, my recent playthrough of like explicitly detective games. So I had to look a little bit further afield. Um, I was thinking about, you know, this is something that I spoke about on the Towns episode. Um, the way in which a lot of the time when you, a lot, a very common mode of storytelling in video games is that you enter a world, you wake up somewhere and everything's wrong. You know, the world has uh, presents itself to you as a kind of corpse and you have to do an autopsy. You have to figure out what's happened here. Really, really common within video games. Examples of this would be, for instance, um, Return of the Obra Dinn is certainly one, but also Soma, which um, I played a bit of recently. Very scary uh, underwater um, sort of bit like Bioshock, but not. Mm. Um, Prey. Um, Bioshock itself, of course, um, but it's in loads and loads of games um, that you uh, you wake up and you basically interrogate the world. You you have to think what what's gone wrong here. Clearly, something has. And how do you uncover that sense of what's wrong? How do you start to build that picture? Um, some games go for a very maximalist approach to this. So. Bloodborne would be an example. Uh, you wake up in Bloodborne in a hospital, kind of Victorian hospital. Um, there's all the equipment is all sort of fucked up and old and broken. Um, there's a werewolf downstairs, and as you as you step outside of the hospital itself, there are just coffins everywhere. Mm. The the world of Yarnum is just like the streets are lined with coffins, and you know it does not take a great detective to think right something something went wrong here this isn't this isn't the way things should be um and then you can start looking into it but lots of games are slightly more subtle i mean one thing that you will always see is um dereliction and desertion so not really an object but um a lack of people Mm. um in in these worlds um and that's absolutely classic so um things are not just streets that are not just empty facilities that are not just um devoid of their workers but are also dirty um things are broken very often you'll see blood spatters um and and, uh and, and indeed corpses um you don't see any people but you see the signs that the people were here you'll you'll come across diary entries um audio files again this is a kind of storytelling that um um, I mean, you see it in kind of, to an extent, you see it in like Half-Life 2, but I think yeah, the, the place, sure. yeah, the place where it really comes to the fore, though, I, I would say is probably Bioshock, um, the first one, maybe System Shock as well, which I haven't played. Um, but, you know, that this is, suddenly we are entering these environments quite often, which are derelict, which are full of bodies, where we do need to try and, you know, it's part of the purpose of the game is figuring out what went wrong, um, the sign um i thought it was quite interesting the way that um bioshock infinite tries to move away from that somewhat um so when you uh bioshock infinite is a game where you are investigating a city called columbia um which is a city in the clouds um it's all it's all on I don't know, it's all on balloons and zeppelins and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and at first, when you enter the city, it seems very, very religious, um, certainly, but not like 
not like it's the end of the world not like it often is it not like it was in the, in the predecessor game in, in bioshock itself where um the world is completely destroyed and 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 empty and and full of mad dead things um columbia seems to be alive full of life and color um and it's not till i think about 10 minutes into the game that you get the first sign that something is really terribly wrong and it's um it's not because you can discover a corpse or anything like that it's because you know there's this instance of like really quite shocking racism that you're confronted with and and suddenly the kind of the mask sort of slips um and you see a bit more of what columbia is um but um i was trying to think of other examples of games that have that kind of dereliction and emptiness because that is quite common in games um but it's not played as threatening i could think of a few um the uh, the witness doesn't seem like mm. a threatening environment no, to me. No. You, you, so you, you, that's a puzzle game, and you start off on an island, um, and it is empty, and there aren't any people there. But it's like full of sunlight and color, mm. and um, it feels kind of peaceful. Um, and I guess that's a way of of countering the kind of otherwise inherent creepiness. Um, and also, uh, Shadow of the Colossus, um, which is a world where clearly everything's gone wrong, but kind of by the time you get there, it's all sort of ruins and mm. it's all sort of quite pretty and sunlit. Again, I think what you want is you want to have lots of sunshine mm. and um, lots of like bright colours and stuff like that. And then a world that's devoid of people no longer kind of, that no longer seems to hint towards something um, quite so sinister. Although although you do remain somewhat on edge, I would say in The Witness and Shadow of the Colossus, there's still the sense that there's maybe something beneath the surface that you're not quite sure about um mm. but yeah those those were examples i could think of so yeah so it's that dereliction um the emptiness of these worlds i think often points to something well i'm glad you brought up um this kind of yeah clues being used in like broader ways like environment and storytelling and stuff like that because that's one of the yeah. things that i had as well and i was thinking about the way uh clues in a broader sense, appear in all games, basically, in terms of clues about where to go, yes. what to do next, how something works, like how you open a door or whatever. So basic video game design language that tells you how to play a game. The classic example would be like lighting and like lighting up a door to indicate that that door is one that you can go through and the ones that are not lit up are, are just background design um that'd mm. be the obvious example so yeah i was thinking maybe video game worlds are kind of overdetermined by clues like they're kind of everything's saturated with meaning um every object's a clue about something how something works or what a particular character is like or how old a place is supposed to be um i don't know if i was, I was trying to think like is that true of all fiction to some extent but i don't know because like yeah, like a film doesn't need to tell you where to go or something. Like games, uh, games require like a, a certain guidance. Um, yeah, well, we've raised this point before, haven't we? Um, something along these lines is is the point that in video games, everything has that. You know, you're saying right at the start of this episode, you talked about that excess that a clue contains mm. because it contains some kind of um, it, it marks some kind of intention or act or outside agency. Mm. Um. In video games, every single object 
has that excess and that's kind of part of the sort of idea of of this podcast because they're all placed there on purpose Mm. it's not like in a in a film where if you're shooting outside you know there's a tree the tree's just there the tree just happened to be there today while you were while you were filming um nobody placed the tree there no one spent hours modeling the tree no one tried to think about you know how the aesthetics of the tree um you know you might make use of the of the particular trees or whatever uh for, for the story that you're telling but um but the tree wasn't made by people to Mm. be there and and you know and that's the case in video games is everything was put there on purpose Mm. um everything was modeled and designed and coded um to to be there in that world so everything sort of contains that kind of excess within itself Mm, for sure uh i only have one other thing uh which is that uh, if a game has lots of clues in it, we can probably guess where it places us in relation to events in that it's a post-event game normally. Yes. Um, so like you mentioned with Bioshock, for example. Mm. So uh, as opposed to a lot of games where we are in the thick of the action, we are doing the thing, like in shooters or you know, um, action games or whatever, we're causing events. We're taking place in the most important events. Uh, games with clues normally take place after the event. Um, so the games I've mentioned, like Ace Attorney, Oberdin, even stuff like Outer Wilds, which I think I mm-hmm. talked about before, which is a game where you explore a solar system and there's a race that existed before that's now gone, that's left technology and messages everywhere. So you kind of find all this old stuff and you have to kind of put together the story of yeah you're not trying to solve a crime or anything you're just trying to kind of work out how things work and what happened and what they did and why they're not here anymore so that's like post that event um yeah uh her story which i haven't mentioned yet the detective game where you search for a database of interview clips at a police Mm -hmm. station is is post the event that's taken place also yeah, all sorts of games. So they're they're post narrative narratives where you, <laughs> where you where you trying to find out what the story is. It's a story about finding out what the story is of, of the yeah. thing that happened. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've got anything particular to say about that, but it, it's one. Yeah, I think that's a really neat description. I think it's kind of the kind of game I like, really. Yeah, and again, I think all these games whether they actually are or not, they have an aura of being kind of intellectual games and that you're working something out. They cultivate a sense of you being a person that's comprehending or revealing something, which is uh, nice to feel like you're smart sometimes, isn't it? So. <laughs> it is sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, if you haven't got anything else, then I'll uh, run through some of our suggestions we had. That's me done on clues. Yeah, let's have some suggestions. Okay. Uh, Eli again uh, regarding the upcoming clues episode special mention should go to Planetscape Torment during the course of the game you come across a group of modrons modrons I think yeah creatures that are the embodiment of order or lawful alignment they have created a simulated dungeon to understand why adventurers so frequently do dungeon crawls you can venture in the dungeon which basically serves as a parody of dungeon crawlers the loot that you can find takes the form of money a bag with discs of random materials with random images and symbols inscribed on them, a magic item, a sort of lava lamp looking thing that does nothing but is definitely enchanted, 
And my personal favorite and most relevant here, a clue, which is a fortune cookie sized piece of paper on which is written, you now have a better understanding of your situation. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds great. great. Yeah. yeah, that's a fantastic example of a clue. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, probably the best clue we've had today. Uh, James said, uh, I'm not sure if it counts as an object. I mean, we're always talking about stuff that might not count as an object. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the vibe Um, here, James. That's fine. But the way clues are shown slash the system of linking them in uh, Sherlock Holmes' Crimes and Punishments should definitely be in there. Um, So... They said, by interacting with objects slash questioning subjects in the world, they appear as facts in your menu. You connect two of them together to make a clue, which then creates a node on your deduction board. Some of these are single dots with only one conclusion, but many are bimodal with two possible conclusions you could draw from the facts of that specific clue. When you decide which one to select, a trail comes from uh, from off it that may link up with other conclusions. These in turn may link up to more deductions which ultimately present the solution to the murder. But each of these bimodal choices from the facts can go either way and you can reach many solutions, some of which may be wrong based on what you deduce. The game lets you select many wrong answers based on your clues. So yeah, the deduction board is something I've heard praised before. That right. sounds like a fun way of doing that thing you were talking about with the yarn. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like linking absolutely. stuff up. That's always satisfying. Um, yeah, I like it when games do that. Uh, James also mentioned the way that physical objects and inventory stand in for player knowledge in games like Nancy Drew, uh, which I haven't played, but uh, apparently games like that, uh, and certainly this is a thing I've encountered in other games, um, often do a thing where you discover a clue, like knowledge of a person's whereabouts from seeing a cart track or something, where you, the player, have that knowledge, but because of the inventory-style setup of the game, they need to give you something to be able to use the facts to interact with things in the future. So they'll give you an object, like dirt from the cart track, so you can use that from your inventory where you want to invoke that clue in the future. Um, so yeah, there's lots of games that do that, like have a physical object stand in for knowledge in some way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you can like, oh, I'm trying to think of a game now. There is a game I- I've played relatively recently where you can do that, where you can confront someone with the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, one more uh, from Kyron. I don't know if this is too meta game. Uh, no. Like Never. Uh, but hint slash clue lines. Back when I was a kid, adventure games were huge. And since it was pre-internet, they would often have a paid helpline you could call to get hints when you got stuck. Um, Yeah, so that was very much a thing. You had to go get your clues. Magazines and stuff as well, obviously, used to have stuff like that. It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Day of the Tentacle had a a clue line. And also um, TV shows used to have them as well. Um, Twin Peaks had one. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, Twin Peaks had a phone number you could ring up. Um, I think you had to be based in the US. Um, and maybe you could have called it internationally if you had like thousands of pounds. Um, and um, yeah, you could get through to um, the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station and Lucy would be reading a pre-recorded message. Um, but yeah, clue what, lines. What would she be telling you? Um, I don't think it was ever anything that was hugely significant. I think maybe the I it was kind of pitched with the idea that maybe you'll find out more about the mystery of Twin Peaks. Yeah, but you know, Twin Peaks was never gonna like do I mean, that. I don't. So, I don't really trust Lucy to. Um, Lucy wouldn't much. know anything about what was going on anyway. You know, <laughs> no. she was probably telling you what she had for lunch today and what her jumper looked like. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's probably it. Yeah. 
Sounds like there was a void for people who were wanting podcasts, basically, but they didn't exist yet. They wanted to Absolutely. Some talking about the thing and interpreting yeah. it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, there we go. Oh, wait there. I had one more that I forgot. Uh, Harlock. Ooh. I don't know if this counts as clues, but I think of Elder Scrolls dialogue system where they say uh, a highlighted word and you can then use that word in future discussions. Um, yeah, that's in loads of stuff like Deus Ex. And, yeah. It's and I good. just, again, like those things because they're always ways of, again, making you feel smart because they normally let you circumvent a more circuitous way of doing the thing or like a violent way of doing the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, always nice. Yeah. So that's clues. That's clues, guys. Brilliant. Um, I hope I hope you've enjoyed it. Oh, and yeah, if you want to send us suggestions, um, then then you can tweet us at getobjectpod or email us on getobjectpod at gmail.com um so yeah suggestions for the next one which we'll tell you about in a minute or uh feedback on this one anything you think we've missed then send it there um and yeah check out the patreon patreon.com slash getobject if you want to see video versions of this with our lovely backgrounds or get access to the extra stuff we're doing such as our video series where we look at how games introduce us to their world via objects and our game club series where I am currently I've just been um set the task of playing Mist by Rosie so yes I've played about half an hour of Mist so far okay well you're gonna need to play more of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um yeah or um sing us a review if you are enjoying the show we do so enjoy them um, oh yeah, you you did say that you would read the review out in the accent of the mm, of the place mm, that the mm. person was from. I, I forgot to check before this episode. I don't uh, think we've had any. Oh, I, okay. I I didn't check immediately before, but I did check a couple of days ago. Apologies if you've just snuck one in over the line, but um, we'll we'll come back to you next time, and I'm mm. gonna be, I it's gonna be I'm gonna be Professor Higginsing it up. It's gonna be amazing. My accents are gonna be just flawless. I'm What's sure. Professor Higgins, my fair lady. Come on, that's really upsetting. Um, yeah, I can't do any accents whatsoever apart from South African because my mum is from South Africa. So if people from South Africa could please review, (laughs) that would be really helpful. I mean, I'm far more interested in hearing the accents you can't do. (laughs) Okay. Um, yes, that would be wonderful. Um, but anyway, until then, um. Uh, next time we will be covering a different thing. What is the thing we will be talking about next time, Paul? Apocalypse. The apocalypse. My God, it's a thing. It's many things within things. It's mm. it's you know what what tips us over finally into oblivion. Um, we'll be looking into it um next week. I look forward to it very much. It will be the end of the world as we know it. Um, I w- I would also be interested to hear from people because we. Almost did um, plague as our theme, but you like did. basically, Rosie suggested plague just before coronavirus started, and then we felt it was kind of inappropriate. Yeah, um, and then we kind of thought we almost did it because we thought, well, coronavirus has just become kind of like a background fact of life now, and it feels yes. less inappropriate. But things, yeah, things are starting to ramp up again, and now. <laughs> Do you think yeah. it's inappropriate for us to do play? I don't know. Uh, I'd be interested to hear. But anyway, Look, we, we've delayed it for now while we do Apocalypse. <laughs> we'll do the Apocalypse. And, you know, that touches on various different forms of calamity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but but 
it will be the the overarching terrible events that end the worlds within video games that's what we're driving for uh next time i'm very much looking forward to it um but until then i hope you've enjoyed uh clues and we shall see you next time goodbye bye